right, Ed. How are you doing? Yo, I'm pretty good. Pretty. That was well. That was sort of exciting, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it looked like it was going to be an absolutely terrible game of football, and then one exploded into life. Um, so we'll look back at the Sheffield United game, and um, we're going to look forward to the game against Astana. Ooh. But not the one after that, because we've got some pretty big news, I'd say, at the top of the show. Some pretty big Rankcast-related news. Do we? You want to, yeah, you want to tell the people, want to tell the people why we're not previewing the game after Astana? Because somehow, despite not being able to get a show out every week for the past 10 years, uh, we've decided to go to twice a week, double the goodness. We're doing it. Yeah. Amazing. So we, we will be recording on uh, Thursday nights from now on uh, and probably next season as well, because uh, there's uh, not much chance of us being back in the Champions League, to be fair. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real shame that we're going twice a week in the Europa League era because it's Sunday, Thursdays are an unfortunate schedule for podcasters, too. But yeah, but it's, it's essentially in response to the fact that we've consistently not been able to respond quickly to um to things that have happened and um i guess as the stakes get lower and lower you almost need to respond quicker and quicker to make it of any relevance whatsoever don't you so in a vain effort to keep relevant in the youtube age we we the podcasters are going twice weekly people have asked us about this well for 10 years essentially Since the beginning yeah, yes. um, yeah. yeah and we are we are finally doing it well i mean i think you're right because uh, a 1-0 loss away to burnley and we record four days later. <laughs> yeah, so um, so the plan from now on, I mean, listen, this is the best laid plans of mice and men, etc. But uh, the plan from now on is that we're going to get a show out to you, the good people, every Monday and Friday. Um, so hopefully you're all on board for this. And uh, I guess we'll start as we mean to go on by uh, reviewing in depth a very weird Manchester United performance. What what did you make of all that, Ed? Well, I thought United were completely rubbish. Absolute dog poo for 71 and however many seconds. It, it just awful. Couldn't keep the ball. Uh, didn't seem to be able to organise the three at the back or the five at the back, whatever you want to call it, into anything like an effective defensive unit. We're being pressured all over the park and seemed shocked about it. I mean, did no one look at Sheffield United beforehand? They did some an- analysis, no? Um, it, it was it was just incredible. It was as bad as anything we'd seen this season. Uh, and United were a complete, complete mess. And then, almost out of nothing, Brandon Williams smacks one in and it all explodes into life. Uh, and yeah, just... just uh, 71 minutes of turgid nothingness, followed by a bit of madness. Yeah, I mean, I I think Sheffield United were basically good all the way through the first 71 minutes of that game, as well as Manchester United. From here on out, who shall just be referred to as United. Um, they, uh, they, were, they were so bad. This game reminds me of the Palace game that Matic scored the winner in. Uh, under Mourinho, absolutely atrocious performance that a little burst of kind of energy and belief dramatically turned around. And I remember saying at the end of last week's show, you know, predicting a loss, but saying United have a very talented front three. So if they do something, things can happen. And actually, um, that is kind of what happened for for United's kind of scoring flurry, because it was a nice cross from James that was headed headed out by the 
by the Sheffield United defender to the sort of back back stick where Brandon Williams was lurking for his 0.03 xG crack, which uh, he did what Luke Shaw never could, basically. How many times has Luke Shaw tried to score that goal? Like, he'll have been watching this going, come on! It's his third game! How's he How's he got well, this goal? Um, partly, of course, because Luke Shaw's right foot's a swinger. Yeah, um, that's a, a key problem. Uh, and then, and then both the other two goals were lovely work. Rashford's yeah. ball into Greenwood was brilliant, exploited Jagielka's weakness um, and Greenwood's movement was perfect. And then uh, that last goal was absolutely lovely interplay between uh, James and Martial and that brilliant cutback um, from James to Rashford yeah. who did brilliantly. It was it was a superb goal. Yeah, look, all three of United's goals were, were excellent in one way or another. It, it it certainly masks. Well, I, look, it's not going to mask because we're going to talk about the reality of United's performance. But but it could do if you only saw the result and the goals. It it could mask what United uh, were in that game, which was a mostly a complete mess. So before Brandon Williams' goal, United had had one shot on target. I mean, it was just terrible. That there was no movement. Uh, Rashford. James had one of his worst United games up to that point. Martial all completely static all of the time, and and one one of the um, you know, and and a lot of blame on them, of course, a lot of blame on the midfield too of Pereira and Fred, who just couldn't get the ball in any decent positions at all, um, and and nothing was coming really from the two wing backs. So United were just completely inept, inert, a bit of both going forward for 70 minutes uh, and then we're explosive for 10. Yeah, it, it's so ridiculous. I mean, you know, you said James had one of his worst games for United and I think you're right. And I think he was the best of the front three in the first 70 minutes. That's how bad they were because there were like, I've, I wrote a load of notes during the game and there were like two moments in the first half where they were vaguely promising counterattacks, of course, which came to nothing, but they were, they both involved James and Martial a little bit of interplay. I mean, we're talking about, like I've said before, uh, use the analogy before, we're talking about a cactus getting water in the desert here. This is this was not quality. I mean, so before the game started, we knew this was going to be an absolute nightmare when you've got Phil Jones in a back three and Pereira and Fred as a, as a midfield two. I, I, I described this game to a friend of mine as like watching me play Pez. So I'm not very good at Pez. And one of the mistakes I make over and over and over again is the ridiculous overuse of the through ball button at times when it couldn't possibly work. And this was just Pereira and Fred all the way through this game, just in midfield, hitting triangle, trying to play through balls, wildly inaccurate time after time after time. Like almost all of my notes before the goal are Fred and Pereira giving the ball away in ridiculous positions. Well, yeah, and it happened over and over again. I mean, they they were guilty a lot. Pereira was guilty for United's uh, second goal, wasn't he? Losing the ball. Um, and on the the first occasion, I guess Jones, you can blame for being you guess who who lost you ball? guess this was this was I, I, one of the most catastrophically awful pieces of defending I've ever seen in my life. Like it was pathetic, and he had looked like an accident waiting for to happen from the first second of that game, and then he did that, and no one was surprised. Yes, he went in for a couple of uh, over the ball challenges, didn't he? Uh, and just didn't manage to get hold of uh, his opponent. Otherwise, there could have been some shattered legs going on there. 
Uh, and probably Jones's, given his injury record, yes. Um, so, yeah, Jones bullied for the first one. Uh, nice cutback. Not sure the hair could have done much more than than block it. And um, and it's in from John Fleck. Uh, second one, Pereira, just so weak to lose the ball. Um, and uh, Mousset, who's, who's very good the whole game, you know, dangerous, very direct, um, like just a lovely finish, wasn't it? You know, low, hard into the corner. And Sheffield United were good for both of those goals. Uh, definitely, and and uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd gone on and scored more, except, you know, Oli changed things around, and well, I suppose he changed things around at half time, which he he had to. <laughs> he could have probably done it after about ten minutes, to be fair, um, and and brought uh, Jesse Lingard in, um, and then he when did he make the second substitution? Was it before or after Brandon Williams? Just after Brandon just Williams after. scored, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, Greenwood Greenwood was warming up. Yeah, came off of Pereira and scored basically his first or second touch or something like that. Um, and so, you know, I guess credit to Ollie there, although maybe Greenwood could get a go in the front three at some oh, point. Yeah, although I'm not sure the problem with this, the team selection in this game was that Greenwood didn't start. Like, um, the uh, there were clearly other problems. And I want to just go back a bit because before their first goal, which, like you say, Dave couldn't really have done much more. In fact, he did brilliantly to get a classic De Gea save on it. Um, he'd done two classic De Gea saves just before that because Lundstrom, there was the Lundstrom shot which he dived to his right, and like it was that was you would say is like oh that's a good save, and then within three seconds he's made an absolutely outstanding save um, from from the header from from close range, uh, just 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 brilliant pure De Gea absolutely back to his best and I kind of thought it was so unfortunate the ball bounced out to Fleck not not for United who didn't deserve anything more than to be a goal down but for David De Gea who'd made three outstanding saves in the first 20 minutes of the game only oh, sure. for United to be one nil down I wanted to talk about that second goal as well um because Oli had made the at halftime he went to a back four and you're right, he could have changed it after 10 minutes. And there is an argument to say, even though you would have destroyed the player forever, he's already destroyed. Phil Jones should have been off in the first 10 minutes of that game because it was so evident that this was going to be a disaster. And that ball, you know, it was a, a an aim, well, a hopeful percentage hoof into the channel, which Jones was just, I mean, he just got out-muscled and out-thought and he just looked all over the place. And to be fair, he's hardly played any football, but... Like he's got to, yeah, rightly so. Exactly. Some would say. Um, you know, his development has not just stalled; it's slammed into reverse, and it's like that. Um, have you seen the video doing the rounds of the dog that was standing on the accelerator pedal, driving a car round and round in circles? That's Phil Jones's career, basically, um, only with less calamitous accidents in it than Phil Jones's career. A dog is better at driving than Phil Jones is at defending at this point. Um, a dog may be better at defending than Phil Jones is. Defending or driving. I, I wouldn't trust Phil Jones. <laughs> Would you get in a car with Phil Jones? Absolutely not. Not a chance. Not a chance. No, look, um, that that was calamitous. And, and I suppose um, the other big weakness, apart from the uh, defensive shape for United, was uh, central midfield, of course. And I, Oli couldn't have done much more, given that I suppose Nemanja Matic wasn't fit, unless he is fit and he's been punished for his Instagram shenanigans. Um, a man clearly on his way out of this club. 
Um, James Garner was on the bench, another option, but I, you know, Ollie had to go with the the senior, um, the senior men. It 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 was a different shape than pretty much they'd played at any point. I mean, I don't remember United playing a three four three this season. I mean, they've always had an extra midfielder in there rather than the the kind of three up front and four across the midfield, and and it was just really really open. It was really open, and and. Of, of course, it's unlucky that Pogba and, and McTominay uh, are both injured and can't play. And, of course, they'd strengthen that midfield. Uh, but it was United's choice not to buy any central midfielders for the last 400 transfer windows or whatever it is. Two. 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 But still, it's close. <laughs> yeah, it's close. close to I mean, lost Herrera and Fellaini in the past year and, and haven't replaced them. And uh, asking McTominay, who's been pretty good this season and Pereira who's definitely not to fill in the gaps oh no it's, it's this is bit, what you get you know this is yeah. why you lose points um the second goal I want to talk about Lindelof as well well Lindelof and Maguire who are oh, Maguire is Maguire's under the lights it's coming it's happening everyone's talking to everybody's talking at him they're talking about how he was cost 80 million and it doesn't seem that he's that good please stop Please, please stop. I just, stop. I was just, I just stopped. And what, and what was so objectionable to you about that, Ed? Was it, was it the sweet, tuneful nature of the singing or the, the jovial, the jovial tone? Um, it, the, the thing about there were cats outside scratching their eyes out. I mean, that was, that was totally, just so you know, Ed, that was all totally Funny in enough, tune. that's the same sound they were making as well as your singing. Totally in tune. Um, so the, uh, the, um, it's one, it's a, this is a, a, a general objection that I have, not to you, but to the world, is when people are singing in tune and other people are like, oh, that's terrible. It happens all the time on comedy shows. Anyway, um, talking of comedy shows, what Lindelof and Maguire were doing when Pereira lost that ball, it looked like they were still defending on a, in a back three. If you look at their position, they were. you talked about them being too far apart a lot. They were absolutely miles apart now it all happened quite quickly and it was a a transition gone wrong but it looked structurally absolutely all over the place i'm no expert in these things at all but it looked structurally all over the place to me well look um i i'm i look i think actually the the narrative that united have been punting out about Maguire is wasn't this an excellent signing and look at our analysis work that we've done isn't this amazing and I just think it's flat wrong. One, you don't need 400 analysts to pick out Harry Maguire and spend £80 million. And two, I don't think he's had that good a start for United. I mean, before today, I'd counted six very prominent errors that had led to goals from United. And I, I think actually what it is, it's not that he's he's been particularly bad. He's just been Harry Maguire. Maguire does make mistakes, you know, and I... I I just feel he's a notch below the elite level and, and um, I'd love for him to have grown a bit, uh, but he's coming to an absolute shambles of a team and I don't think he, he's, he has so far. Now, having said that, of course, United before today hadn't been conceding a lot of goals. Um, so we've got to give him some credit for that. He's certainly better than Phil Jones uh, and Chris Smalling. Oh, Chris Smalling scored for Roma today. Nice header into the uh, down, you know, uh, uh, good for him. Uh, he's apparently having a good time over in uh, in Italy at the moment. Um, so Maguire's an improvement on what we had, but uh, I don't think he's at the 
you know, kind of elite levels. He's not had the Van Dyke effect yet. And look, there's time for him to grow, of course. He's, he's still a reasonably young man. Um, I just think some of his mistakes fit into a pattern. And Lindelof, well, Lindelof makes mistakes, doesn't he? It, it, for his entire time at United, he has made mistakes. And there are periods when we really hope for him to come uh, really good and to, to be a leader. And um, he certainly felt felt like he'd grown towards um, at least part of last season under Oli. Uh, and he started as uh, Maguire's first choice partner. He should be under some pressure, I think, you know, once two and Zabie's properly fit. Uh, but uh, as a pair, I'm not sure they're uh, perfect yet. They're far from perfect. So I just wanted to share a few notes that I'd written during the game. Uh, one is in all caps, which is, does nobody teach these forwards movement? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I'm no expert, but aren't these the basics? Like uh, watching the front three and you can understand, like having a bad midfield, I guess, makes forwards more static because they're less trusting that they'll receive the ball or that, you know, their movement won't be wasted. But then having static forward line makes midfields worse as well. So there there was a kind of horrible, vicious cycle going on. And I, I did not understand why the three of them were just almost literally standing in position sort of, I mean, I, I don't, I don't believe for one second it's lack of, as Gary Neville was banging on about ad nauseum, lack of desire or intent. Um, There's just some, there's just something wrong with the plan as far as I can see. Like why, why aren't they making more runs off the ball? Is it, has football changed? Do you not need to do that anymore? Is it, is there something sophisticated happening that I'm not aware of? Or are they just, they just kind of, fed up and depressed and don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Well, I mean, and, and you've got to say what's happening uh, in terms of the, the patterns of play that they're trying to build on the training field. I mean, this is all about coaching. Not necessarily having a go at Ollie here, although I probably am. Well, it's time though. Why, why are we, why are we, why are we not? Like what, what, what on earth has he done to suggest that we should be gentle and kind to him because we love him? I mean, I'm, I know the answer could just be 99. Yeah. Well, it, it <laughs> is partly that, and it's also partly because I know what he's working with, and it's not great. And he's he has made the decision to jettison a whole bunch of players. So Smalling, Jones, until today mostly, Matic, Lukaku, and Sanchez, like all really senior players. He didn't make the decision to get rid of Herrera. That was the club by not offering the, the contract quick enough. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of seniority gone out of the squad and he's working under the assumption, and as he said on Friday, I'm working for the club, not for me. So he's working to build something longer term. At least he fully believes that. I, I, I believe him when he says that. Um, so the raw ingredients aren't great. The added value of Oli at the moment is like it's really inconclusive that he's very high. Um, and, and then specifically to the point we were talking about uh, around patterns of play, it doesn't take very long, actually. I mean, it takes longer than defensive solidity to coach uh, into a team, but it doesn't take very long to establish what is a pattern of play. Now, at the moment, United's pattern of play is extremely reactive. And today, United's uh, made about 40% more passes than than Sheffield United and it's one of those games where um, typically we don't look great now we've scored three goals in seven minutes so that changes things a little bit but but there were only five shots on targets in, in, in on target in the entire game United weren't creating good stuff 
you know, 1.33 XG here, which tells you that apart from those sort of seven minutes of madness, um, this was not a team that was had a game plan that was creating a lot of chances against an albeit defensively good side. So I do wonder what they're doing. And and the point prior to that, which stimulated that, was was that they, these forwards are very, very static. And it's true, they are. You know, And it doesn't make any sense because individually, they're extremely dynamic. But as a, as a team, yeah. they're definitely not. They're definitely not. And this is this is why I don't buy it to be about intent or passion or any of that stuff because um, th- when they're on the counter, they are giving it absolutely ten bells. And there's there was something I think it might have been on a on a ramble meets uh, lately. And it was a conversation with a footballer who says very often players are made to look bad by coaching instructions. And, you know, you're you're getting the crowd wondering, like, why aren't you chasing after this ball or whatever, when actually the coach's instructions have been very clear, like, don't chase after this player, put the pressure on when he's got the ball, not when he's got the ball, you know, this kind of thing. And you're looking at that going, are they saving all their energy for counterattacks? What's what's happening? Because they it they're so static, it looks like that's what they're meant to be doing. But that can't be no. what they're meant to be doing because nothing ever. Yeah, comes no, very it. true. It's not like yeah, look. So, so, so yeah. the contrast with Sheffield United was really interesting because um, Chris Wilder's garnered a lot of praise this season, rightly so. He's taken their club on a very small budget up to uh, mid table, better than mid table in the Premier League, and, and they've no right to be there really. Um, and uh, he's playing with sort of three at the back and given license to to at least two of those three central defenders to push forward into midfield. And, you know, there's some innovation there. Uh, But actually, a lot of their patterns of play are pretty rudimentary. I mean, they play some pretty direct balls. Caught United out for the first goal, of course. But uh, they're a low-possession team uh, that's happy to play into the channels and happy to put a lot of crosses in, basically. So, you know, 30 crosses in from Sheffield United today. Um, and, And some of that's not... And they press really hard and they press all over the pitch and... They harry and they're intense and and all of that, but it's nothing. It's nothing so sophisticated that United should be flummoxed by it. Uh, but at times it looked like we were. Um, but the the thing that you 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 can see in Sheffield United is they are going to work their socks off all of the time, and they're always on the move. You know, even if individually there's eleven players there individually who, who'd get nowhere near this United team, and it's a very bad United team. You'd think. Right, but they're they're above United. Well, they're above I'd, they're I'd, above United in the table right now, and have played plays us off the pitch for about eighty of those ninety minutes. Yeah, and I would immediately swap Fred and Pereira for whoever it was that was playing at Lundstrom and whoever it was that was playing alongside him in in their central midfield. Um, so we get to three two. Uh, it looks like we're going to do exactly what we did against Palace and fully like rob them in in one of the most undeserved robberies of all time on the pattern of play for the for the course of the game. But then, um, friend of the show at Luke Jerdy asks, big mistake taken off Martial and trying to see the game out when clearly we couldn't defend today. Is Ale as clueless as it seems, or am I being harsh? Feel like today was this was the um was a bit of a last straw despite the comeback and. A lot of people, I mean, it's very clear that there are huge numbers of United fans absolutely sick of Ole not giving him anything like the kind of 
patience that you've been kind enough to offer him here. But beyond that part of the question, the the substitution to take Martial off and bring Twan on, it was understandable because we were still quite right, open, trying to shut it down. But, yeah, I mean, look, if if Jose had done that, never... that's a masterclass, right? You know, the LUHG, no, the no, LUHG no. crowd would be like, no. going, "See, I told you." No, no. If Ole, if Jose had done that, you would spend 25 minutes talking about what an idiot Mourinho was for doing the thing that he did every time that never worked. And we both know that never works. You can't, United can't take substitute, take off a forward and bring on a defender, especially since it meant another shift in shape to the shape that had been so spectacularly unsuccessful. I actually thought it was a genuinely awful substitution, genuinely awful. And it would have been if Mourinho had done it and it was because yeah. Oli did so, it. So, I mean, I, I, look, you can understand the thinking though. And, and Oli's substitutions, 99 times out of 100 are a kind of basic rationalization of, of, you know, obvious stuff, aren't they? Um, he's definitely not innovative in terms of his in-game management, so he's just trying to shut that game down. And and some basic normal, normal defending uh, would have uh, would have seen that out. And and it's also about the players on the pitch, you know, and their in-game management and and being able to just keep the ball uh, and slow the game down. They only had to do it for four minutes that Turunzebi was on the pitch. That's all they had to do. And they were they were not successful in doing that. A uh, big sort of VAR chat, and not worth having big VAR chat again. But um, I, I didn't think it looked like a handball to me from from watching it slowed down over and over and over again. But I know some people are absolutely adamant. There's no way the ball could have dropped like that if it had not hit the inside of his arm. I mean, I. I, I think that a little bit of me watching that going, ah, it's never handball, is partly just we did not deserve to win that game. But it didn't look like handball. No, I mean, it's top of shoulder and arm, isn't it? It's it's uh, it's it's right in the stanchion, isn't it? <laughs> so... <laughs> Where the spiders live. They've looked at it in slow motion. They've got a very good camera angle and, and uh, said no handball. So we'll stick with that, shouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but VAR, absolutely without any shadow of a doubt. I have I have flip-flopped so hard on this subject, Ed. I know you're a fan of making fun of me as a flip-flopper, but I prefer to see it as being a, a quality of open-mindedness. Um, but this thing, the sooner this thing is no longer part of football, the better, because well, there's got to be a way of it, making it's not it okay. Be soon, but... so... The, the Premier League um, no. uh, professional match official gaming board, whatever they're called, uh, met with the Premier League a couple of weeks ago and all came out of the meeting going, isn't this wonderful? Congratulations, slapping themselves on the back. So no changes in VAR. They're all very happy with it. But I mean, like that celebrate that goal celebration is the kind of, no, it's the, the baddie team, right? But that goal celebration is exactly the kind of goal celebration that should never ever be it's fine if like the whistle goes immediately afterwards and yep that's fine you celebrate you get that kind of oh no but like the full celebration and then do we celebrate this or not it's the worst well i suppose in in this case they got to celebrate it twice (laughs) they did um so i think that's the sheffield united game Let's move on to some listener questions before we, I don't know, we're going to talk about Astana before we say the words FC Astana a couple of times. Let's go for it. Um, all right. Uh, while I'm still back on Twitter, which is 
probably not going to be for very long. Uh, I'll, I'll do these for give you a bit of a break from it, Ed. Um, at Ryan Dino Seven says, "Well, everyone, also everyone else asked this question, so I thought I'd just take it once." Um, and I liked uh, Ryan's spin on it. He says, "With Pochettino now freely available, would it not be worth bringing him into play in midfield?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Tahith Chong's wavy hair at J McKeown Esquire, friend of the show, says, "Am I insane, or have we been really bad at throw-ins for the better part of the last decade?" Oh, just kidding, Poch, right? <laughs> he wasn't really asking about throw-ins, listeners. It was a trick. Oh. He was asking about Pochettino. So we should talk we about should. it. The the big news of the week, the most, uh, and in fact, um, at Remington underscore Moses asks. Any ideas why, for the first time in my life, I very suddenly started despising Spurs? <laughs> yeah, Pochettino inspired uh... by Spurs, and and look on in terms of uh, Spurs' results over the last uh, six months or so. It might even be longer than that. They've been in such a big slump. It's it's I guess not a surprise. The uh, manager, uh, manager, CEO. I actually he might as well appoint himself manager. CEO Daniel Levy um, deciding they they just couldn't uh, they couldn't carry on with this and, and of course there've been a lot of a lot of talk that Pochettino's attitude has changed a significant amount since that Champions League loss uh, and that the players can't really un- understand some of the changes and he's in a funk not only because of the loss but because he didn't get all the players he wanted in the summer although he got quite a lot of new players um, and and Levy well we were surprised I suppose that uh, he you know in a sense that Pochettino was fired because. Uh, Pochettino had this thirty-four million pound get-out clause, and there's an awful lot of clubs that would like to hire uh, Pochettino, despite the sort of bad past six months or so, including at one stage Manchester United. But uh, United were quick to brief this week that uh, no, no, they're sticking with Oli, and uh, they have their plan, their three-year plan, or however much is long <laughs> left on that three-year plan, um, and uh, Pochettino won't be getting the United job. Probably should be, though, shouldn't he? It'd be mad to take it, mind you. Well, this is the thing that you've said a number of times, is that, like, he just shouldn't be coming anywhere near the job. Uh, let's let's just say that United's pro-Solshire spin is at least in part spin, and really they're not as insane as all that. You know, uh, the thing that I keep thinking about is when Nigel Adkins got sacked and they brought in... Pochettino at Southampton. Nigel Adkins did nothing whatsoever to warrant being sacked. He got them promoted and he was keeping them in the division. And someone at Southampton had the vision to say, that's all very well, but this guy could take us to a whole nother level because he's absolutely special. And of course, there was a lot of criticism when Adkins was sacked. Um, But the truth is that decision was proved to be a spectacularly sensible one. And even if um, Ollie was doing a much better job than he's doing because let's not make any mistakes about it. You said earlier, not sure how much value he's adding. That seems very generous at the moment. Um, Pochettino is a world class squad builder. Um, I mean, uh, building an ethic and identity. I don't mean buying players, you know, building a squad into something. There's a lot of raw material that he could be working with at United. It would be a fantastic fit in every way. Shouldn't we just be binning Ole off and getting Poch in, not because Ole's terrible, but because Poch is brilliant? You would think that would make an awful lot of sense. I mean, I, I think 
it, it depends on what percentage of the blame you put on on Ollie for United's current malaise and what percentage you put on the club and the structures, right? So um, let's run through this. I, I suspect it's something like 80 to 90% is on the club uh, and the rest of it's on Ollie. Now, um, you could turn that argument around and say, well, if you just add a few more percentage points through a better coach, aren't you going to get a better outcome? And that's probably true. That's probably true. But you, this the same thing will still apply. United are going to struggle to buy the right kind of players, make the right kind of connections in Europe, make the right kind of investments at the right time, and struggle to stick to a vision. And and um, Pochettino, I've absolutely no doubt, is an upgrade on Oli. Let's just imagine he comes in we we will be dumping one apparent three-year plan for a different one. Maybe it's a better three-year plan, but it's still going to be under this kind of um, absolute scattergun transfer policy, a club that is, um, and a club that, that every single manager over the last seven years has said is more focused on commercials uh, than the actual football. Every single one, Woodward denies it. They another investor yeah. call this week, which we don't have to go into at any length. But, you know, he went to real lengths once again to talk about football, football, football. We're focused on football, you know, that the man protesteth too much. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, Pochettino would be an immediate upgrade, I'm sure. And he's got all the things that United are spinning that they're doing, building a squad, young, trying to be smart in the market trying to be sensible about it, being patient, taking the time, building it the right way. He's got all that and he's proven that he can do it and Ollie hasn't. Um, and and so he would be a great acquisition as a coach. The problem is what's going to be above him? He's going to screw him over. And then just final word on Pochettino. Um, you know, quite a few people go, oh, but he's never won trophies. I, I don't worry about that at all. You know, if the Real Madrid's job's open tomorrow, or the Barcelona job or the Bayern job is open now, he's going to be offered that job in a heartbeat yeah, because they know what he can bring. Yeah, and, and you know, one thing about structure is it's not like Spurs. I mean, Mourinho has spent all week talking about what a wonderful structure Tottenham have, but uh, it's not like that structure has rewarded Pochettino much. What's I mean, you talk about like difficulties making the right connections in Europe, buying the right players. Like Pochettino's been starved of bringing in quality players and has done everything he's done without backing and without good structure and all that kind of stuff at a board level. Um, I mean, you could argue that they've, they've done a great job of keeping players and that's kind of causing a bit of a problem now, but you know, they've done a great job at keeping players, but they've not done a good job at building a squad in terms of bringing well, players in. And their budget's and less that. than half of United's. So less than half. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's that's obviously that's obviously a key point. But it's not like he's done what he's done at Tottenham with a fantastic structure in place around him. Should, should we just talk a little bit about the decision that Tottenham Hotspur have made to essentially like it's all gone wrong? As we 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 can all agree, it's all gone wrong under Pochettino. Like you said, his attitude has apparently changed. The players, all this stuff. We know we know what's happened. And that feels very much like they've reached the end of the cycle and there is that kind of limitation. They haven't they haven't refreshed the squad enough in a kind of Fergie-esque way to give him another five years with another cycle of players. Um, 
And maybe just Fergie being Fergie is the only person that can do that because Arsene Wenger did get those new crops of players and never did it again. Um, so he's reached the end of his cycle, but it's been a cycle about building, about um, making the feeling between the fans and the club one of something really special and, and that really belongs to them, that's really, that there are values above and beyond just winning that matter and that kind of looking to the future and building towards something is a is absolutely kind of core value at that club now. And then they appointed... Jose Mourinho yeah, no, I know. as their manager. I mean, it, it's easy to get trapped into a narrative because of what has happened at Spurs over the last five years that somehow Levy makes every decision correctly. Yeah, he plays he plays the game in the transfer market and he does have the right kind of connections and he's he has managed to leverage more out of that club than their budget um, makes uh, makes you think they could achieve. But he's he's made some stinking decisions in terms of managerial appointments as well. And, and because they're working on a low budget lower than the other big clubs they they've taken some gambles on players that haven't worked out so um and this one is just really weird because it's i I don't know if it's the polar opposite of pochettino i'm not quite sure what that is but it's it's definitely not long-term philosophy um uh, building maybe they feel that they've got enough quality there that you know a manager who's focused all on the uh the end result is is what they need now or maybe they just panicked a little bit and, and Mourinho was available. And Mourinho's talked a good game this week. He's he's I he's so he's so good at talking I know. A good game and he's, he's come across as humble he? and his people have been spinning this notion that he's he's had this period of reflection away from the game and he's reflected on the mistakes he's made and he's not gonna make those mistakes again and he's gonna be more patient. But I you know, inside twelve months, um, when he doesn't get the players he thinks he needs and he's jettisoned some, he's decided that yeah, he 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 can't he doesn't want anymore um and he's going to be grumbling he's going to be making those noises he people are going to be saying you know i i i need the players otherwise i'm off you know he's going to be putting the pressure on and it could come crashing down as well as it has everywhere else and he's just he's going to get even less resources at spurs than he than he's had at united or chelsea or real madrid yeah and the, and the thing is we know this We've seen this. Everyone knows this. Everyone's seen this. I'm the one really genuinely interesting thing he's done. Like if you kind of take whatever personal negative feelings I might have towards Jose Mourinho's tenure at Manchester United and the insane civil war that he's left in his wake, um, the it's very interesting that he's got a whole new backroom staff. That, that's kind of genuinely tactically interesting and then it's a younger backroom staff and it it does look like he's you know he's really trying to kind of come up with some new ideas and stuff which that isn't going to change who Jose Mourinho is as a person but it'll be interesting to see what a bearing it has on his on his football Yeah, a couple of coaches from Lille uh, who are not happy about it at all Uh, and uh, yeah and Rui Ferrier is is not at his side for the first time in about 40 years yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he got off to a winning start against Mugwell Pelagoonies, West Ham United. Um, I had a request from friend of the show, Amon Palman, to mention Mugwell Pelagoonie on the show. Uh, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. It's a very long time ago when he was managing City. Um, someone tweeted at Rob Pollard, uh, who was then at the Manchester Evening News, uh, that Mugwell Pellegrini should be sacked. And there's very little that's ever made me laugh more than a City fan calling Pellegrini Mugwell Pellegrini. Um, anyway, uh, 
All right, a couple more questions. Uh, at Mika, at, well, Mika Latonen, uh, as you say, friend of the show, uh, he says, every time a left-back's on the verge of replacing Ashley Young in the starting eleven, they mysteriously seem to get injured. Is Ashley Young, in fact, a warlock who's using his dark powers to curse his rivals? And if so, why isn't he using his powers to help United? I think Brandon Williams is not getting injured because of a curse. He's getting injured because he's insanely double-hard. Uh, he tried to clear the ball for a corner with his testicles in this game, and and uh, he succeeded in doing so, didn't, putting didn't his body flinch. very much didn't, on didn't the line. Notice, but a scratch. One of his balls <laughs> hanging off. So, uh, I, look, uh, he wasn't perfect today. Uh, you know, soft, uh, softly gave away the ball within about five minutes of, of the start of this game, didn't he? Um, uh, was uh, caught out of position sometimes uh, because Sheffield United did push hard down the right-hand side um, of their attack. Uh, so he's got a lot to learn, but he's got a fine goal. And he's definitely not a downgrade in that position. No, he's he's the best option, isn't he? Um, at Sambo underscore Evo says, great show, you two. Can I be unblocked now? Obviously, this is I've been back on Twitter for five minutes. People are asking me to get you to unblock the med. He says, I'm rehabilitated. Think Morgan Freeman in Shawshank levels, but without as nice a voice. So... I've looked at his infractions because I do my due diligence before I put in the unblocking request. And I would say that it essentially, Ed, it, it, this is your call because it's whether or not three years and a promise of rehabilitation is enough because he definitely deserved the blocking in the first place. <laughs> Just to be clear, Sam, you fully deserved that original blocking. So it's, this is all about whether Ed takes your, you at your you word see, that you've rehabilitated. I, I don't see blocking as punishment. It's, Look, there's some loud bloke down the pub who's being a bit offensive. You know, you're like, mate, I don't want to talk to you. If they're talking a bit loudly and you don't like what what they sound like, you might move tables. That's muting. So yeah. I just yeah. I didn't want to talk to him, apparently. So I don't see it as a punishment, but uh, since you've asked so nicely. <laughs> All right, excellent. And now they brought, brought mute in a few years back. I hit mute far more often than I hit block. So so if you if you're a bit snarky, and I was talking to you and then I don't talk to you again for some reason. It's because you're howling into the wind. <laughs> um, and I talking of asking, I asked the question before the game and a friend of the show at office underscore Mark. Um, monkey martin uh said yet another missed penalty today when will it end <laughs> which <laughs> very much made me laugh when i look back at the questions later because i realized he'd asked it before the show started um it was a f- good, good shout though good, good shout bet, though yeah yeah, yeah there's, exactly. there's like probably 50 50 that he could have been right there um so i think we're gonna beat astana 3 now what do you think well they're rubbish aren't they i mean yeah then then they're not playing at a high level uh, it, i mean the, the travel this is this is the absolute pinnacle Europa League banter era fixture. Can United even get a direct flight? <laughs> um, no, they'll definitely have to charter one because um, so uh, Sam Sam Homewood, friend of the show, who now works for MUTV, he um, he's already on the road. They're in Moscow now um, on, on their way there uh, because it takes so long to get there. If you if you if you I mean, I'm sure that the, the team will charter a flight, won't they? But but this is like peak Banteria United, 10 to 4 on a Thursday afternoon kickoff away in Kazakhstan. The shame wow. of this fixture. The shame. Well, that- funny, funny thing is, uh, I was thinking mentally in my head um, that uh, I would really like a nice night's sleep on Wednesday night. And my two-year-old doesn't often allow me to have that nice night's sure. sleep because it's going to be a late one recording the show. 
It doesn't have to be. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, I... F- we, we are not going to Astana, folks. <laughs> I'm uh, we'll be uh, recording it on the road. But uh, yeah, we can, we, can, uh, we can start that one not too late. Yeah, I'm finishing work at six o'clock. So I'll have the game completely recorded. I'll have avoided spoilers. Between six and eight o'clock, I shall watch the game and we'll record. Uh, what is the first of many midweek, uh, midweek podcasts from from here on out i'm i don't know about you but i'm i'm super excited about about this and listen yeah. this is the aim is not to provide in-depth coverage of the group stages of the europa league um because what a pointless exercise that is um it, but you know we are going to get through this group we've we've qualified and there's a decent chance we're going to finish top of the group so uh, hopefully we'll get a reasonable draw and then like come the new year there'll be uh, there'll be some european football that maybe has something riding on it and it'll be Great to be able to cover that, but mostly it will be just an opportunity to kind of react to the news of the week, and um, you know, and there'll there'll be a lot of fixtures over the Christmas period, obviously, and and we're gonna just keep these coming thick and fast, basically. That's right. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, it's been a long time coming that we we're moving to uh, twice a week, and so from the beginning of next season, we're moving to daily, aren't we? No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Was... Tom has just had a heart attack. <laughs> In the uh, production studio there, um, uh, we we did did offer Tom to get a second editor, and at the moment he's saying no, no, he wants to do it. So you know he's hardcore. Good, good for Tom. Hardcore, yes, he's Brandon Williams hardcore. <laughs> Taking is, it in the nuts for the Tom is definitely the the Brandon Williams of sound design. All right, so uh, thank you very much for listening to the show. We'll see you on Friday, and Patreon backers, stay tuned for some more. See you next week. Hi, and before we leave this week, just a reminder that you can subscribe in iTunes, leave us a review and a rating. It really helps the rest of the community find the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. Bye now.